You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. Now, some of you are listening to this on the Nine Finger Chronicles feed as well, but I wanted to post this in both places just not only because it's it's an awesome update that Hunt Stand has put out, but it's also there's a lot of uh, conversation in here about actual deer behavior, you know, time of year, rut type conversation, and so I thought it would be uh, beneficial to everybody if I posted it on the Nine Finger Chronicles feed as well. But anyway, today we're going to be talking with Brian Murphy, and uh, you may know him from back in the day when he was running the uh, Quality Deer Management Association, but uh, now he works for Hunt Stand doing a variety of different things, and he played a, a big role in some of these updates that are coming out on Hunt Stand for this new pro whitetail uh, features that they've, uh, that they've um, included here. And so let me pull this up real quick. Here are some of the things that we're going to be talking about today and some of these upgrades that they've um, they've pushed through HuntStand, and that is a whitetail activity forecast, whitetail habitat map layer, nationwide whitetail rut map, that's very interesting, uh, national aerial imagery layer, monthly satellite imagery layer, and then crop history layer, which I'm the most excited about because, in my opinion, I feel that... Uh, crop rotation, especially in states that I hunt, like Iowa, has a huge impact on deer movement, whether it's a soybean year or a uh, or a corn year. And he even mentions, Brian mentions in this podcast, they go into, like, I think he said 130-some different crops that they 
that they manage uh, on this app and so it can tell you hey like you know there's crops here or there's not crops here or what kind of crops potentially so a uh, very interesting update coming from hunt stand and so other than that i did i want to get into it but before we do we got to do a uh, we got to do an episode or uh, some commercials obviously this whole episode is about hunt stand go check out huntstand.com um, if you're looking for a saddle be sure to check out tethered the best part about tethered is not only do they sell saddles not only do they sell climbing sticks and all the saddle hunting accessories they also have a youtube channel and on their website and that's there's a ton of videos that educate you on becoming a better saddle hunter so uh, be sure to go check that out tons of great information there and then uh, last but not least tacticam okay so tacticam has come out with their new 6.0 if you guys are down or the kind of people who like to film your turkey hunts film your bow hunts film your gun hunts then you need definitely need to go check out these uh, these action cameras over at uh, tacticam and uh, the cool thing about this is that they have like a the brand new technology in these cameras are they actually have a screen on them now high quality screen they actually have image stabilization on on them as well and so this new uh, 6.0 version is definitely a big upgrade from the the last version that they had out and so if you're into that stuff go check it out at uh, tacticam.com other than that Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Lots of real cool information coming out of uh, Hunt Stand in this upgrade. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Be sure to go check out HuntStand.com. And uh, let's get into today's episode with Brian Murphy. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Brian Murphy. Brian, how are we doing, man? Man, fantastic. Uh, okay, so before we started recording here, uh, I was talking to you a little bit about this uh, this weather front that we have. It's I guess you could label it a cold front coming through Iowa right now. It's just the time of year. If this if this cold front came through a week later, I'd be all fired up about it. But right now, like this time of year, I just I, I just feel like uh, it's best to not put any pressure on the properties that I hunt. Where 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 do you stand? Well, I, I pretty much agree. Now, that's that's for folks like you and even where I hunt in North Georgia, where our ruts are pretty traditional, late October, early November ruts. Now, keep in mind that there are about a third of the, the ruts out there that occur either before or after this time of year. So right. there's some, some ruts that have already happened, some that are right on the cusp of the rut. So it, it depends on where you are. But if you're on the, you know, the, the front end of your rut right now, which there are a few places, then absolutely I would watch this front like I'd watch it at any other time of the year. But for majority of hunters who hunt a, you know, November rut, yeah, I'd, I'd say save your powder a little bit. You know, if you, if you have a chance to get out there, go ahead and get out, but just be cautious and don't hunt your very best spots too early unless conditions are absolutely, you know, spot on. Yeah. Have you been out in the stand a lot so far this year? I've gone out half a dozen times so far, uh, managed to take three does, uh, with my bow and, uh, did, did have an encounter with one of our target bucks. Um, really nice 10 pointer, uh, mature, mature deer that we, we know well and, um, had him at, at 28 yards. The problem was I just couldn't see through my, 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 my peep sight. Um, so I couldn't make a shot. So I had to just, uh, back the bow down and let him walk, but maybe I'll have another chance. Yeah. That's uh <laughs> that's a tough one, man. I I've learned, uh, I've been in a couple of scenarios where I could see him fine, but then when I drew back and put the peep sight up on him, it was just just too dark, and I've had to let a I've had to let a couple deer walk like that throughout the years, which 
is tough to do. It, it's hard because I could see him fine through with the eyes and the binoculars, knew exactly which buck it was, had him broadside, even put the, you know, the, the bow up to the sky to get all the light I could and brought it down on him, did that two or three times just to see if I could possibly see that, that pin. And it just wasn't there. And I wasn't going to make a marginal shot on a good deer like that. Uh, there's a lot of season left and I know where he lives. So yeah, absolutely. I'll get another encounter. Absolutely. Well, you're here today to talk about this new, if you want to call it an update or an upgrade that hunt stand has done, uh, and it's called the pro whitetail features. Um, so just kind of a real high level, real high level, real quick, what led hunt stand to, to make this pro whitetail update update? Well, Dan, as you, as you know, you know, uh, hunt stand is very in tune with, with the deer hunter. I mean, that's really our core market and has been from the get go. Um, our CEO is an avid deer hunter from South Carolina. And, and when he set out to build the hunt stand initially, it was to create the single best, you know, whitetail hunting, uh, app on the market. And, and certainly it does a lot more than just help the whitetail hunter, but that was kind of our core audience. And, and that was one reason that, uh, you know, when I left the Quality Deer Management Association after 23 years, a couple of years ago, he reached out to me and said, hey, we need a whitetail guy to really help us add additional functionality and really make sure that we're providing, you know, everything we possibly can to give the whitetail hunter the greatest advantage. And so uh, that's that's uh, that's why I'm on the hunt stand team and uh, really enjoyed my couple of years there and have spent the last year working with our team to identify some some new features we could bring to the market that would really set us apart and, and give hunters, you know, everything we know how to do to help them in their, their you know, during their hunting seasons and to maximize their success. Right. So when when you guys start talking about these these new features that you want to bring or, or an update that you want to uh, do to the, the app there, what did those conversations look like when you guys sat at the round, you know, at the round table, it's time to discuss, uh, we need some different functionality for the whitetail hunter. We want to make this the best, um, option for the whitetail hunter. What did those conversations look like? Well, luckily the, you know, the entire hunt stand team are, are avid hunters. And, and so, you know, we do brainstorm, we have weekly, weekly meetings where we really brainstorm and say, what, you know, what are we missing here? What can we bring? And we listen, we have, you know, over 2 million customers. So we get a lot of feedback from our customers saying, boy, I wish you had this, or I wish your app did that. And so we look at all those and some of those are pie in the sky things. And some we thought, okay, you know, I think we can build those, you know, is the, is the data there, is the technology there? Can we create those tools? Can we make them world-class and bring them to market in a way that the average hunter and hunt stand user can use seamlessly in their daily activities? And so that really would, those are kind of the, the, the metrics that we use you know, is it going to be a game changer and useful? Uh, is it going to be easy to use? And can we support it effectively with the technologies that we have? And and uh, that's kind of the, the matrix we use to, to come to market with new products. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So um, let's just get in right into it. Uh, let's see. You sent me a, a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, roughly six bullet points here of all these new features that HuntStand has brought to the table. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and first talk to um, talk about the the bullets here that you sent me that you played a big role in? Yeah, well, there's there's six new features in the Pro Whitetail tier, and this is an upgrade, so it's an additional charge if if current HuntStand users want it. If they don't, there's no need to pay for it. But I think many Whitetail hunters will find it an incredible value and tool set for their their uh, arsenal. 
so the six of those, uh, two of those I personally built, and we'll talk uh, more about those, obviously. One is a nationwide rut map, and that is a very detailed to the county, in some cases, sub-county level. Uh, there's over 4,240 counties or parishes for which we have peak rut data. In other words, the two-week peak of the rut, as well as the pre-rut period, the waning rut, second rut, all the various rut designations for each individual area in North America, well, in, in the United States, uh, that covers about 98% of the whitetails range. So very, very useful color-coded interactive map that people can quickly find, you know, their various, uh, you know, peak rut or various rut stages. This has never been done before. No one has ever mapped the entire whitetails range to this level. It took months of time and effort to get in touch with all the state agencies to get the data, to standardize, et cetera. So the rut map is certainly something I think a lot of hunters will find value in the uh, one second here. I got a question about that. How was yeah. that? How was that data collected? Is that, is that real-time data? Is it previous years data or is that data collected over several years? In most cases it's collected over several years. And thankfully um, despite what many hunters believe the rut doesn't really change much in a given area year to year. Uh, and many, many, many data sets over decades have, have shown this, that if you have a traditional let's call it a, a mid-November rut, it literally doesn't vary. The peak of the conceptions, that is when does actually breed, literally doesn't vary by a couple of days year to year. So it's very consistent, which is which is good for, for us in this regard. So in, in many states, uh, they do collect good fetal data, and that is, you know, from harvested pregnant does where they can measure and backdate those fetuses and determine exactly the day the doe bred. So that's kind of the gold standard uh, set of data. So wherever that was available, I got, you know, got that information. In some cases, states didn't collect good fetal data. So they use a number of other uh, estimate, estimators. And one of those is peak adult buck harvest. And so they can track, most states have some sort of online or telecheck or check-in station data where they can collect har harvest data on mature bucks. And, and there's a direct correlation of, you know, when hunters harvest these adult bucks in, in the peak of the rut, obviously, because bucks are more vulnerable. So we can use that as, as a measure. Uh, a secondary measure, which also has been scientifically proven to be valid, is deer car collision data. Uh, you know, people hit more more deer with their vehicles during the peak of the rut than any other time of the year because deer are on the move. So that's a another uh, another way to get at that information. And then a you know a final one is really more anecdotal, and, and only a handful of states had to rely on really the the you know the information collected from their state biologists, uh, taxidermists, processors, etc., to give give us that information. So. Um, and luckily, that was just in a few states that had very consistent ruts, like the Midwest or Northwest part of the U.S. Uh, so there's a number of ways to get at that information, and it does take some legwork. And, and thankfully, as a biologist and most of these uh, state deer program leaders are personal friends of mine, so I was able to you know, work with each state as necessary to make sure that we had the best possible data that they had. Yeah. How can a, how can a hunter use that type of data? Um, let's say a guy's got a week of vacation he can dedicate to his the his whitetail rut how can he use that data to make the best decision on when to get in the woods well clearly you know hunting uh, around the peak of the rut is 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 obviously you know arguably the best time of year to, to harvest a mature deer if that's the hunter's goal uh so understanding when the peak of the rut is for their area and not based on 
you know, some third party, you know, one hunter said he saw a chase and the rut's on. No, not necessarily, not necessarily. Let's go with real data here. And so, you know, if you understand when that peak two week period is, then you can, you know, time your hunting uh, to that period. And what I often tell hunters is the peak of the rut often is the best time to be in the woods, but not always the best. And, and many hunters realize that the days just immediately before the real rut kicks off, call it the later start, later stages of the pre-rut, often are better times. So, you know, if you look at the two-week rut period, you might actually, you know, want to hunt on the first few days prior to the beginning of that or the first few days of it, or Conversely, on the back end, as it starts to wane a little bit when those bucks get off those hot does and start looking again. So understanding the various stages of the rut can help you time your hunting strategies specifically to your piece of property. And, you know, second way to use this map effectively is if you're you know, prospecting new areas or new states or, or you just want to hunt some different ruts. Um, and what was interesting, and we can dive into this now or later, you know, doing this rut map, you know, really opened my eyes and I knew there was a wide variation in, you know, rut dates across the U S but I didn't realize the extent to which it really occurred. Um, this exercise revealed that the rut, the earliest rut date to the latest rut date is 210 days in the United States. So seven months, there's a rut occurring literally seven months of the year. And in fact, it, it bridges nine different calendar months. So someone could literally hunt a rut in the United States in nine different calendar months, which is incredible. Um, you know, so if, if, if hunters want to do something different, hunt an early rut or a late rut, this is a chance for them to do it. Or if they want to hunt multiple ruts in a given year, they can do that with this map. So it really helps them kind of customize their hunting experience and know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see here. Uh, so that's, that's the, the rut map. What's the next, what's the next, uh, uh, the uh, the next one is yeah. is also a very and, and this and the rut map was actually instrumental in development of this this second tool and this is a whitetail activity forecast. So if hunters think of a seven day weather forecast, this is a seven day deer movement forecast tool. And so what makes this unique is that because we have the rut data and, and there are a few other deer movement type tools on the market, but those are very simplistic models. They use a couple of weather variables or a moon phase and that's it. And they apply it to all deer herds everywhere. And as I just outlined, the, the, you know, the rut map revealed that the rut takes place over seven months of the year. So, you know, applying a standard set of variables to every deer herd is just not an accurate way to do it. So ours is based on each individual deer herd. In fact, to the county or sub-county level, we identified over 5,000 unique deer herds in the United States. So we were able to customize a, a prescription or a forecast for each of those deer herds. So every deer hunter you know, using our app will get a different forecast than their neighbor if they're in a different county or have different rut variables associated with their area because it includes over a dozen weather variables, uh, time variables, date variables, rut data variables. So it's literally tens of thousands of combinations of possible data interactions to give them a customized forecast of, of likely deer movements for their area. So when they open up the tool, and just like a seven-day weather, weather forecast, it gives a seven-day outlook, and it tells you the best time of day each of those seven days, morning and evening, uh, as well as a percentage. And that percentage, say it's... Uh, Say it, uh, the app would say that uh, Tuesday evening at, at 6 p.m. Is, is the peak movement time for that day or even of that week. And it may give a score of, say, 72 percent. 
and the percent simply is out of the perfect world scenario, uh, 100% being the best possible score. And that would only be possible during the peak of the rut with a perfect weather front, light winds, slightly cooler than normal temperatures, a rising bar um, you know, barometric pressure, et cetera. I mean, all the right things coming together. So it gives you an indication of kind of overall probability of deer movement for your area. So it allows you to customize your hunting within a week's time frame to pick the times and days of the week that are the best likelihood of you encountering uh, deer movement. Okay. I'm going to play devil's advocate on this a second because there are other um, – there's there's other forecasting apps out there that say hey you know here's the best time to be in the woods or you know some is based off of an algorithm some are based off of actual collared deer movement um and, and so there's as a serious hunter i i look at that and i say there's there's holes in some of those buckets right so right. my question to you is from a, a deer biologist standpoint or from a serious hunter standpoint how how accurate actually is some of this forecasted, uh, forecasting methodology? Well, the good news is we'll be able to test that with millions of, of hunt stand users, many of which voluntarily put in observation and harvest data within the app. And this is not that we're tracking their individual, you know, what, what bucks they kill, but we can, you know, amalgamate th those data and apply it back to the model and keep looking for possible variances. Now, as a deer biologist, I've looked at all the data. I incorporated deer collar data in our model. I mean, I've looked at all the research. So, you know, all of what you mentioned, I've already done it. I've spent months working on this particular model. Uh, and, you know, the reality is, is, you know, I think in a perfect world, we can probably explain about 70% of what drives a deer on a given day. Uh, there's going to be a, 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 you know, a bucket of variation that no model no, no artificial intelligence, no, no, no human being can figure out because deer just don't do the same thing every day uh, or based on any set of environmental conditions we know of. And, and it could be simple, something as simple as they got bumped out of their bed by a coyote and they moved early in the day or there's a hot doe that made a move and do something in a, at a, you know, in a, during a heat wave. Uh, you know, there, there's always going to be that variation, but we think uh, based on the model that we've created that we can explain at least 70 percent of deer movements. And that's probably is about as high as we probably can get. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so that in conjunction with what we just talked about could, could really have an effect on, and really the way I look at it is, okay, so you have a forecasting model and then you have the rut map and you can really almost hone down with just with those two features, a good time to get out in the woods and have a, um, a higher probability of deer encounters. Correct. So you use the rut map itself as kind of a broad indication of, all right, you know, typically my deer herd ruts this time of year. So I'm going to kind of schedule my time. So you've kind of maybe narrowed down to a two, two week peak window of the, the later stages of, of the later stages of the pre-rut into the peak rut itself. And so, all right, that's the two weeks I'm really going to dedicate to trying to, to maximize my hunting. And then you can use the forecast tool to look at the times of day, or even the days of the week during that period, which give you the highest probability of success. So you use them in conjunction with each other to really fine tune your strategy so that you know, you know, when and where to be at the right time of the year to give yourself every possible advantage. Nice. All right. All right. So that's, there's a, there's a little bit of forecasting in there as well. Is there anything in this, the, the forecast that a, an individual user can 
use data that they have collected that kind of goes back into this to say, hey, uh, and basically what I'm asking this question is property specific. Uh, so the data that they collect, whether it's trail camera or, um, you know, data collection that they've collected personally that can be used on this this forecasting? Of, of course. So, you know, if, if hunters are collecting good trail camera data and they're getting some some intel that would be slightly, you know, perhaps in conflict with the deer forecasting tool, always rely on local intel. Uh, you know, one thing that no model, ours or no one else's can, can account for are things like feeders. Uh, you know, time deer feeders, a lot of, you know, a lot of places use time deer feeders. And if you have your feeder set to go off at a particular time, that's probably going to override the general movements of deer in that area. So there's certain things that, that we can't, you know, incorporate into, into a model that hunters can use to their advantage. So always use local Intel, but if, you know, in the absence of local Intel, you know, absolutely rely on the model. Uh, we have been using it myself and several friends, you kind of in a beta test, fashion over the last several weeks, um, you know, leading up to the launch of this new feature. And I can tell you so far, knock on wood, it's been spot on. Uh, in fact, I've, several people say it's within minutes of when deer started moving in their area based on the, you know, the prediction in the, in the forecasting tool. So, so far, so good. Um, it, nothing's going to be perfect, of course, right. but, uh, but, you know, again, by, by, by having the individual, you know, breeding chronology, as I call it, which is basically the sequence of activities that occur in a deer herd leading up to the pre-rut, rut, waning rut, second rut, all those things mapped for each deer herd at each county or sub-county level. We can assign a, a weighted variable to each individual day of the season around those things and then, and then modify those with all the environmental variables. So we can bring in precipitation and wind speed and, and temperature and barometric pressure and you know, all those other variables to then tweak that to say, all right, you know, activity is likely going to be increasing or decreasing into what level. Uh, so that's the way we're able to get so customized down to almost the individual hunter's property level versus these broad models that other uh, companies have used where they just plug in a few things. And most of them are centered around the beginning of our discussion, you know, around the Midwest. Right. Uh, some, you know, most of the apps, you know, have the rut broken into the stages around what they do in Iowa uh, or Missouri. And that's great if you live there. But if you live in the deep south where your rut's in January or in Florida where your rut may be in July or August, that means nothing to you. Exactly. Uh, so, so this is a customized deer forecast that no one has ever been able to create. Uh, and, and again, a key underpinning of, of that forecast is understanding the breeding chronology for each individual deer herd in the United States, which was no small task. Um, I can tell you that months of my time and, and conversations with dozens, if not hundreds of biologists at state agency levels and other just respected deer experts, you know, I gathered opinion and thought from as many of the top deer folks as I, I know, and I know almost all of them. Uh, and, and thankfully, this was a collaborative effort that came up with what I think is going to be considered the gold standard in both from the rut map perspective and the deer forecast yeah. uh, tool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, next uh, on here, I have a, a whitetail habitat map layer. Yeah, this was a this was a very innovative uh, map layer that uh, we actually collaborated with a third party, a, another uh, high level GIS mapping company that's got some hunters uh, embedded in their company, and they uh, they took it upon themselves to characterize all the different types of habitat across the United States 
and then assign different values to those various habitat components as related to suitability for white-tailed deer. So they looked at the inherent vegetative components and they can map some incredible things um, almost on a you know, monthly level, changes in habitat from mature forest to what we call early successional habitat, which is you know, recent cutovers or fields, stuff with you know, early successional vegetation, which is highly attractive to deer and able to create a, a whitetail layer that hunters can use. Now it's not super detailed. It's it's a little bit broad in nature, so it, it doesn't work as well at the hundred acre level as as hunters may want. But from a large scale, you can back off and really see kind of the heat sink areas where the vegetative components are inherently better for whitetail deer than than not. And so if someone's you know particularly useful on big big tracts of, of public land, uh, they're trying to navigate where to kind of concentrate their efforts. Uh, I would definitely take a look at this layer because it will show you where to at least start your prospecting. Uh, works great, again, at kind of the bigger scale, uh, several thousand acre scale, uh, but it will give you an idea of kind of the inherent quality of a particular area or property relative to its inherent features. This does not take into consideration a lot of the micro features like very small food plots or feeders. You know, it doesn't take into consideration those variables, but does look at sort of the macro level habitat components gives you an indication of, of kind of better deer uh, habitat suitability. With with whitetail deer being one of those animals that can live in just about any habitat, right? I mean, they're all over the place. Uh, yes. how, how, how detailed actually is this? And I mean, wh- what I mean by that is, for, I look at that and I go, dude, there's whitetail deer in the middle of cities or urban areas. There's whitetail deer out in the middle of the country. There's whitetail deers in the swamps in the south, the north. So how 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 do how do you actually go about registering or giving a a scale or putting a number to an actual habitat where we know deer live already? Well, I think there's a couple of ways that, that that were used in this particular layer. One was to look at the again, kind of the inherent habitat composition, the amount of early successional cover next to perhaps older cover, such as a mature forest. We do know that you know areas of of large blocks of hardwood forest up along the Appalachians, for example, Adirondacks, places where they're just large blocks of just you know, much the same hardwood forest, those those areas inherently have lower deer densities than the areas that are more fragmented, that have some agriculture or fields or even residences, um, homes uh, broken into. So it uses a combination of so those inherent habitat characteristics um, versus the amount of edge and, and other things. And so it does give, in, in many cases, a fairly high score to some of the urban areas. Uh, these areas are are often very suitable for deer. Yeah. Uh, often more suitable than large blocks of hardwood forest. Uh, so it, it, it does take into account many of those variables you mentioned, and I think it does a, a, as good a job as, as, as we know how to at this macro level of, of assigning a value to those habitats. So again, it's just, again, a, a good course filter. I see it particularly useful for Eastern hunters who want to go to the West and, and maybe draw a block for a mule deer hunt or, or elk hunt or something of that nature where they're looking at, you know, 10,000 acre blocks of public land and saying, where do I even start? This is a great tool for that um, because that's where, you know, in many cases, those big blocks of public land aren't actively managed. So you're really looking at just what the habitat has naturally. 
so those are particularly useful. Um, you know, would uh, be a particularly useful map to look at in that in that instance. Okay, cool. Now here's one that I'm interested about because, and I'm not a deer biologist, and all I know is what I see uh, through trail camera data and through spending time in the stand and scouting and, and seeing where sign has been laid the previous year, and that is a crop the crop history layer. I'm a huge believer that. Uh, especially in the Midwest where crop rotation has an impact on how deer move through, you know, or what area they're in every year. Talk to us about the crop history layer. Yeah, I I think you're spot on, Dan. Um, You know, understanding the agricultural components around where you hunt is key, particularly if you're in an ag dominated area of the Midwest or what have you, or even in some parts of the South, there are little pockets, you know, here and there in the Northeast. I mean, all across the country, there are certain crops grown maybe not as much as in the Midwest, but understanding where those are, particularly in juxtaposition to where you hunt, will give you a lot of valuable information. So knowing that the farmer that you know owns the, the field next to you has shifted from corn uh, and soybeans to an alfalfa rotation, or is planted winter wheat as a cover crop during the, during the fall, or what have you, can give you great insight of where to hunt. But also from, from your own habitat management efforts, if you, for example, are in the Midwest and the farmer around you plants a lot of soybeans and corn, you know, your summer nutrition is probably covered by their activities. What you're missing from a habitat component is cool season uh, agriculture or food plots in this case. So it'll help you not only know kind of where to hunt and what's going on around you, but what you can do on your own property to fill in those nutritional gaps and to bring, you know, or to plant something that's attractive during the hunting season it may may give you the advantage. So absolutely a, a vital tool. And this layer is very detailed. It includes 134 different types of crops or other land cover types. So it's a very robust layer. Um, and uh, we're actually, I was on a call yesterday with our team and we're going to add some, some different uh, information to that so that not only can in, in the future, once we make some of these tweaks, can a hunter see that it was corn or soybeans or alfalfa or wheat or whatever the crop may be, We'll give them some detailed information on what that means from a hunting perspective. And I think a, a lot of hunters understand the value of, of corn and soybeans and alfalfa, but maybe not all hunters and may not understand what times of year they grow, when they're harvested, uh, their nutritional value, et cetera. So we're going to add a little bit of different sort of uh, a little uh, additional information to that layers to, to make it even more useful. Awesome. Let me, I, I don't know why this popped up in my head, but I used to live in Alabama and Georgia for a while and I'd drive out in the country and and I'd see some cotton fields and some tobacco fields and things like that. Do deer eat uh, cotton or tobacco? Believe it or not, they will eat cotton. Uh, It's not a high preference item for them. And in many cases, deer will be out there picking weeds out of those fields, but there's absolutely uh, clear evidence that deer will occasionally eat cotton. Uh, I don't think, it, again, if there's something uh, more highly preferred available, it's not something I would say is high on their, their list, but uh, they will eat the leaves of, of cotton plants for sure. I'm not sure about tobacco, to be honest. I haven't run across that one recently and um, don't know if they'll eat tobacco, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, deer eat about 400 different types of plants and particularly those that are fertilized, which, you know, all agricultural right. crops are. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if deer would, would, would consume some of the tobacco. Huh. That's, that's interesting right there. I don't know why, but, uh, I just don't like, I obviously my, my whole view on hunting is skewed because I, most of my whitetail hunting is done in Iowa. 
So that's just not reality based off of the rest of the uh, the rest of the the country. So I don't know. I found that interesting. Uh, well, a good take a good take home message is if if deer are eating your cotton or your tobacco, that means you're probably not planting what they really want to eat. And there's probably a, an opportunity there for a hunter to plant something more attractive and draw those deer more frequently yeah. to their areas. So, yeah. Um, Great point. So, that, you know, always think about not only what they're doing, but what you could do differently yourself to, to give you the edge. And that's, that's really the basis of, of habitat management really in many cases for, for hunters. Yeah. All right. So these next two are kind of one in the same. We have a national aerial image layer and then a monthly satellite image layer as well speak on those yeah so so most of the apps on the market out there today you know competitors to hunt stand typically use one of two satellite layers that hunters are seeing when they open their apps and the most common is the google map layer and that's a great layer uh, another one is called map box so there's, those are kind of the two main providers that many of the apps, we all, it, it's kind of a commodity, if you will, if apps can purchase access to these two different satellite layers, and they're both good at different times. Uh, and what a lot of hunters don't realize is that neither of those are updated very frequently, particularly in rural America where most hunting occurs. And so they're often looking at a map image that may be two or three years old, uh, sometimes even older than that, and they may not realize it uh, unless they've done some active habitat management and go, why can't I see that? field or that clear cut or whatever the activity may be. So we, we do include both of those in our standard uh, hunt stand pro tier, but we've introduced two new, two set, two new satellite layers that give even more clarity and, and recency. Uh, the most, um, I think the most encouraging of those is the, the monthly satellite layer, because that is unique to the hunt stand app. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that gives users a chance to see what's occurred on their property within the last 30 days. And there's no, no app on the market, literally no app on the market, short of um, government-related uh, functionality that allows that kind of recent imagery. In fact, it's that same satellite provider that we use uh, is often used by the military to get the kind of images you see on CNN and others of, of things occurring in war zones and what have you. So it's a, it's a very effective tool uh, and it, again, quite useful if you're looking at recent management activities on a property, uh, clear cuts, floods, burns, you know, things that you just want to see what's going on kind of in more real time. And, and, and the way we get that is this company uses a, a host of, of satellites that are orbiting the earth at, you know, 24 seven and they're small. It's, it's, it's incredible how small these satellites are. They're about the size of a, of, of a large microwave and they're taking images you know, daily. And, and so, but because not every day of the year is a good day to take a picture of the planet because of clouds and storms, what have you, it smooths uh, the image over a 30 day period and gives the, 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 the most accurate image possible over a 30 day period. And so that allows, again, users to see what's really going on in real time on their property. Now, users should keep in mind that this is a true satellite image and, uh, and they may not realize that with Google and these other providers, the images they see of their truck parked in the parking lot are not taken from a satellite. Uh, so when they start, you know, start panning down from the big picture of the Google image, it actually transitions to aerial folk photography at some period of resolution. So what they're actually getting is an aerial photograph to give them that kind of clarity. So this uh, monthly satellite image isn't quite as crisp and clear as they would see on a traditional, you know, augmented 
uh, image from Google Maps or what have you, but it's still more than sufficient to see what's going on and to measure things and and to uh, take advantage from a management perspective. Gotcha. Yeah, that's uh, that's one feature. Like that's one feature that I think is really cool because I uh, recently, when I say recent, I want to say within the past five years, I've had a property that's been logged. And so yes. from a satellite imagery standpoint, it's definitely different. And so being able to see that on one app and not on the other could have implica- you know, implications of where a guy is e-scouting and where he's wasting his time. You know, So accurate data is definitely, I guess, a, a huge benefit for the end user there. No doubt. So, you know, good examples. If you're planning to hunt out west and you've heard there were some big fires in a particular unit that Absolutely. you may be hunting. Absolutely. Now you show up, you 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 look at Google Images and everything looks great. You show up there and there's everything's burned stem to stern uh, for for you know tens of thousands of acres around you. You you wasted a lot of time, energy, and money going out there on a hunt that you know you could have just looked on this app and figured out that that's not where I need to hunt. Uh, so that's you know that's just one one additional use. Another use is you know often the google image that a hunter will look at in their app may be a summer image just for example you know how different does the habitat look in january or february than it does in july and so at the least a monthly satellite image can give you a time appropriate view of your property yeah. and that can be very different as you well know particularly in ag dominated landscapes where everything looks green and flush in the summertime with all the crops in the field and all of a sudden you look at it in you know november and all the crops are gone and the, you know, the, the picture is very different. Yes. Um, so, so all of those things, you know, all these features can be used together, you know, in a, in a seamless way that kind of allow you to really drill down and know exactly what's going on with the habitat, with your deer herd, you know, so that you have the best chance you can for the time available to, to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And so as a hunt stand end user myself, I just want to say something about, you know, to all the listeners out there, I throughout the years have used a variety of different apps similar to HuntStand. I go to HuntStand all the time and I stay there because the satellite imagery, when used with topo lines, um, and and I'm speaking specifically on the detail of the, the map itself and how uh, the clarity, how far you can zoom down, I can look at trails coming you know let's say on a block of timber that lead in through a crp tra- uh, crp field i can see trails and the, that is usually in conjunction with some kind of terrain feature and what that does is it, it allows me to get used to looking at topo lines and saying well there's probably going to be a trail coming out of here you zoom in sure enough there's a trail and i can i don't even need to be in the woods or you know, put boots on the ground at that point to identify deer movement. And so you kind of cut, you cut that learning curve on a property shorter. And just for me, it allows me to get into the best places quicker. No doubt. No, I mean, I use it to speed scout, you know, new areas all the time. And, you know, I'm asked often to go help a landowner with, you know, with a management plan for their property. And, you know, often I can give them a fairly detailed report before I even step foot on the ground. Now, nothing ever takes place on the, on the ground boot scouting, but you can get darn close. And, and, and in some cases, you know, you're showing up blind on a property and have to have to just go hunt the first day or two. And you might as well at least hunt in a, a, an area that, that is, 
you know, has all the right features based on the, on the maps you've looked at. And like you said, the train features, you know, I've killed a lot of deer on first hunts in blind areas just because I use the map effectively to put myself in, in a logical position right out of the gate instead of just blindly throwing my hands up in the, uh, in the air and grabbing a tree. You know, you don't have to be that, <laughs> that course in your approach. You can be pretty fine, fine tuned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Other than the the satellite imagery and the mapping layers that we talked about, anything else that is new well, with the, this prior? Well, yeah, one additional map layers or satellite layers. So now that'll be four different possible satellite layers within the HuntStand app, which is the first of any out there. So again, we have Google Maps, we have Mapbox, and then now we have monthly satellites. And then a fourth one is a new uh, high resolution, uh, data set we got from the USDA farm services agency, which is one of the most, I think, uh, clear and up-to-date satellite images available. Uh, they update that every, every one to two years, which doesn't sound that frequent, but frankly, at the clarity that they're doing it, it is. Yeah. And so that's just another view often, I think, uh, just started playing with that one in the last few weeks as we launched this new tier and I found it incredibly clear and useful. So I think if people are already happy with some of the images they're getting, if they take a look at this one, they're going to go, wow, this one is head and shoulders and clarity and richness even above the others. So, uh, again, just a lot of different ways to look at a property, different satellite layers. And you may find that in your area, uh, Google Maps is the best. You may find that the USDA Farm Services layer is the best. Or you may find that the map box layer. So the good thing is you have all those choices. You can easily toggle between the different satellite providers on the app and see which which, uh, which image is best for your property and your needs at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anything else that we forgot to mention? No, those are really the six new tools. Uh, I think the, the take home here is that, you know, they really are a suite of, of, of tools that, that, yeah, are tailored to the whitetail hunter. But as you, I think you can see, there are many other uh, audiences that would find value in these different satellite layers and, and different crop layers. I mean, this is not specific to a whitetail hunter, although we call it the pro whitetail tier. Uh, you know, it is an upgrade. So if someone is a, a hunt stand user already, if they're a free tier user, then the upgrade all the way to, to hunt stand, the pro whitetail tier would be $69.99. If they're an existing hunt stand pro customer, uh, which we have that as an option as well, then they would actually get a credit of whatever balance they have remaining on that HuntStand subscription toward the upgrade to the HuntStand Pro level. So uh, let's say, for example, someone is a HuntStand Pro user, that's $30 a year. They had $20 remaining on that. They would get a credit of $20 towards that $69.99 price and therefore pay $40. So the most they could pay is $69.99 if they were a new user or a free user. So it's not an expensive app. Uh, even all the way up to the pro whitetail uh, upgrade, especially compared to some of our competitors that don't have, you know, a third of the functionality that uh, that we offer. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Brian, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this upgrade. Thank you very much and good luck this uh, upcoming season, man. Thank you. Same to you. Hope you're successful. Yeah.